2: Today we have Steven Kombucha with us. I just love the fact that your name sounds so much like kombucha. I'm a big fan of kombucha, Steven. I don't know if you are, but like I don't know if I've ever met anyone who has a name that sounds so close to kombucha. And that just <laughs> means a lot to me. I just have to say that up front.
0: Well, it's good. My kids love kombucha. That's like yeah, they love it.
2: Are you are you a person who likes to drink at all?
0: Uh what, like alcohol? Yes. Yeah, oh, not yeah. just water. Yeah. When you said drink at all, I was like, I was like, what is this going to be a kombucha question or like (laughs) or like a brew question? Yeah, I
2: I just want to say so what probably like my favorite drink, especially if like I do want to get a little tipsy is kombucha and vodka. I don't know if you've ever mixed any like kombucha with any sort of like clear liquor, but I highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, I've never I've never tried that. Honestly, I've only tried kombucha like once or twice. My wife will get it. And she let my kids try a little bit of it, and they were just like, "This is amazing!" You know,
2: damn, they, they just probably had the best gut like, health ever
0: out of any kid. Yeah, that's that's, right. oh, they do. I, I can tell you that. I know that. <laughs> Which is something
3: I always find funny. Like, if you add if you add uh, vodka to kombucha, I mean, aren't you like pretty much just killing all those probiotics?
2: Probably, but like it tastes good. It still tastes
3: juice good. Vodka at that point—that <laughs> someone's worked their life on.
2: That
0: was that was some good science right there
2: he did teach science yeah, okay. Colin's a teacher and I think he did yeah. teach science at one point I don't know about I biology science but... to
3: middle schoolers and I'm sure that they have the worst science education out
2: there we <laughs> <laughs> got like a bunch of kids that are like thinking that the earth was created in six literal days
3: it was wasn't it
2: <laughs> Colin's not a homeschool teacher by the way Stephen but no gotcha Let's talk about Wolves at the Gate. So you play in Wolves at the Gate, you play guitar, uh, you sing a little bit, uh, and your guys are going to be releasing a new album uh, very, very soon. We're obviously going to want to talk a little bit about that. But let's start at the very beginning of Wolves at the Gate. You've been in the band since the very get go. I mean, you were one of the founding members. Talk a little bit about how Wolves at the Gate got started. Like what what led to the formation of the band?
0: Well, I'd been trying to start a band for a long time and failed many, many times. I just could never get, I could never get guys to to play music with me. (laughs) That was basically it. And so I don't know if it was me. I don't know if it was the music I was writing was bad or if the guys were just lame. But uh, it wasn't. Probably all three of those things. (laughs) Probably, probably, Yeah. An (laughs) amalgamation of all those things. Yeah. So. Yeah, in college, it really was, I, I'd be, I'd just been, I mean, I'd written songs since I started playing guitar. It was just what I wanted to do. I just wanted to create. When I, when I saw what was possible, and I saw the feeling that I got from playing songs that I liked, you know, from other bands, I was like, man, I, I want to I do that. And so I just did that forever, and had tons of songs, and I met, in college, yeah, I I played soccer and for my college for the college i went to and there was a freshman that came in who played drums and he liked you know music that i like and uh when i found that out i was like hey you want to you want to play some music together in my living room and he was like sure i was like i wrote some songs would you write some drums to it?" he's like yeah of course and he was so good at drums i had no i i didn't know if he was gonna be good or not and so that's how good you were you're like I don't even care if you're
3: good man just play with me
0: (laughs) well yeah I mean I knew I was gonna find out pretty quickly um so but he was yeah he was really talented and and so that's kind of what took everything off from there I knew other guys that played instruments that I was friends with which you know Ben who's our bassist um Jeremy you know our original guitar player and I just started just kind of roping them all in it was like I'm like hey you want to join my band he's like you got a band I'm like Kind of. You know, I could. (laughs) I could have a band if you join. So, yeah, that's basically how it all came together. Just playing rowdy house shows in the little sleepy town of Cedarville, where I went to college. And uh, things just kind of took off from there.
2: How did you guys get roped in with Solid State? Because... You know, especially by the time that you guys had started, Solid State was just even outside of like the Christian music scene was probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest like heavy music record label. And here you guys are like on your debuted album getting signed to Solid State. Like how did that all happen? Uh, I, I can't I would imagine for you guys it was super surreal to be signed to this label that especially at that time was one of the biggest in, in the scene.
0: Yeah, honestly, I don't know how um, they found out about us. I don't know, yeah, you know, how that happened. But you know, I just think that we were able to gain some traction. Like this was still during like MySpace pure volume days, oh, and you know, really we nice. had, you know, we had good success on pure volume, which we preferred because you couldn't really, for the most part, you couldn't doctor your uh, your plays. You know, so it was it was legit MySpace. You know, got like fans with like pay like these like Russian hackers to put these bots on their pages to give them millions of plays and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, like pirating music was huge. And so I think word was able to spread in the way that social media does today. Like those were the the avenues that like, that's how I found out about bands was, you know, through that kind of stuff. And so yeah. Ripping off their
2: shit off of (laughs) LimeWire.
0: Yep. Yep. While getting lots of, uh, you know, bugs in your computer and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I'm not really sure how they they heard about our band, but uh, they got a hold of the record. And, you know, honestly, we made that record kind of thinking it would be the last thing we did because we'd been a band for about three years at that point and hadn't done like a proper release. And we just kind of figured, hey, let's just let's put together a proper release, put it out there, you know, for anybody that's still listening, you know, give them something that's Real and they can hold it, you know, not just like songs on the internet. And yeah, so we just kind of thought that was the end and it was actually the beginning. So it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. At what point did you get a sense that, like, oh, this isn't the end? This is actually the beginning of something. And here you are over a decade later. Like, at what point did you realize, like, oh, yeah, this is going to be something I'm going to be doing for a while?
0: I think when we, so, we put up like an online merch store and sold our record online and i remember how many copies we sold just diy and it was a really surprising number because we didn't really realize that we had that sort of reach and especially with the way that people were pirating music that anybody that was buying it (laughs) so that was shocking alone and so that was pretty encouraging for us and you know, there was a local radio station called Radio U that started playing our music. And, you know, we started getting opportunities to open up national tours. You know, like we got to open up for bands that we we loved, like Thursday and Seosin, and yeah, like a, a bunch of like national tours. And so we were just getting opportunities that we kind of felt like they shouldn't be coming to us, but they are. So something we must be doing something good. You
3: know, one of those things that you guys are doing good and we hear about it all the time on this podcast from other band members, uh, from other bands, that you guys are some of the funnest uh, people to take on the road. Uh, or who said that to you? Who uh,
0: said that to you?
3: <laughs> gosh, we've heard it from like three different people. Um, trying to remember specifically who said it. But well, I know I'm just it, like... it's always Wolves at the Gate and Dens. For some reason, those two bands are like the two bands that I've heard the most.
0: Well, that's, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that, you know, tour is such a weird thing and there's always a strange vibe, you know, and we just try to kill that like weird competitive thing that bands can have with each other. You know, there's actually a game that we play that Abishai came up with that (laughs) we've always tried to do the first day of tour because it's especially good when you've only had like a day to know the guys on the tour and basically You get all the guys in one band together and you tell them, all right, you need to rank us, the guys in Wolves of the Gate, from your least favorite to your most favorite.
3: (laughs) I love this.
0: (laughs) And you have to start with your most favorite and you have to start, you know, like, you know, Colin, you are my most favorite podcast interviewer right now. And then you'd have to, once you got down to the bottom, you would have to say, Mason you are my least favorite. <laughs> and there's something that's so hard to say, something so hard about saying that to somebody you don't know. And it's just hilarious. And guys are like, "I don't want to do that." We're like, "No, this is the game because we're going to play it today and then at the end of tour." Yeah. And we'll see if that changes. And what's funny is almost every time the the most favorite becomes the least favorite and the least favorite <laughs> becomes the most favorite i can't
3: live up to it
0: <laughs> the last shall be first and the first shall be right, last right. do
3: they have to give reasons as as to
0: why no no that's... no reasons we want it to oh. just be pure gut reaction and uh it's, <laughs> it sounds like really bad but it's just it's it's really funny and playful and so it's just we're just trying to break the ice cuz who, you know, guys who, in bands, everyone's like, "Oh man, I'm cool, I'm important." You know, got sweet clothes. It's like, let's just—we're all guys. Let's—we're just people. Let's hang out.
3: That must be why people like it, because uh, there's there's no standoffish. So I know there's a lot of bands out there that kind of have a little bit of a of a superiority complex, and I don't I don't get that with you uh, or the rest of your band, for that matter, uh, at all. So that must be that must be a big reason as to why uh, you know people like going out on the road with you.
0: Well, that's cool. Um, that honestly, that's probably one of the best compliments somebody could have given. So oh, that means awesome. a lot. Yeah. yeah.
3: I'll see if I can go back and find which which band said that for sure. But
2: <laughs> how often do you get ranked last? That's what I'm most curious about. Like how, and and not like last when you you first do it, but like last when it's at the end of the tour and they've like really come to a good conclusion that you are the worst. Wolves at the Gate band member. How often does that happen, Steven?
0: Oh man, I don't know. Thankfully, I can say it isn't. It isn't a lot, but there've been a few. There's been a okay. Few. Who
2: who in Wolves at the Gate? It does get ranked last the most often. Like there's got to be a clear cut winner.
0: <laughs>
2: Throw him under the bus. Throw him under the bus.
0: Yeah, I think I think a lot of times Nick ends up getting bottom of the barrel <laughs> just because the reason why is. I think because Nick ends up like he's always so excited, like get to know everybody and then he just gets like tired by the end of the tour and you just don't see him. And so I think it's by like lack of proximity, you yeah. know? So that's what I would say. Cause Nick's just the big, you know, teddy bear. That's awesome. That's great. So,
3: so who, who's usually the most liked at the end of the tour? Uh,
0: I think Abishai Abishai. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, well, Abishai. with a name like
3: that, you got you got to be the most liked, right?
0: Well, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Or Joey, you know, I could, but I think Abishai, he he wears that crown. But oh. Ben Ben's also yeah, they're up there. The two why of them. Why do you
3: think why do you think Abishai always gets uh, or oftentimes gets uh, the most favorite?
0: Well, he's hilarious. Yeah, he's hilarious, and he's super personable. You know, and he's not. I think what helps too though is he's got a super chill personality yeah. and so he's never like, he's, he's not to either extreme, you know, of like super shy or like super loud and outgoing. That's he cool. just, he rides the wave real well.
3: That's a tough thing to do, especially on tour. I got to imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about the beginning of your guys' career and everything, you know, at at one point, your career really started to take off and here you guys are almost five albums in. You're about to release your fifth album and yeah, you've been doing a lot of different things throughout your career. When you look back at this point, over a decade now into this, like, what are you most proud of? What's the thing that you look back on and say, you know what, I'm glad I did that or I'm glad I was a part of that. That's the thing I'm going to take home and remember for the rest of my
0: life. Do you mean like a, like a particular event? or Yeah, an that? event
2: or maybe like an album or like th- th- there must be like some sort of piece to Wolves at the Gate that you, you know, 70 years from now, if you live that long, uh, 70 years from now, you're going to be like, that's, that's what I remember. Like, that's the thing that uh, I'm going to hold my hat on.
3: When we download you into the computer, our consciousness <laughs> says, what did I accomplish in my life? What, um, what's, what's the favorite thing you look back on? Yeah.
0: I, I think I think it would probably just be I think the thing that I'm happiest about looking back on everything is from start to finish. So far, I don't think that we've changed at all about what we're about, what we want our music to be about. I, I guess that we had integrity because we, were, we had very clear desires and goals when we started the band. And um, I know how easy it can be to be young and excited and passionate and quickly become jaded. And yeah, just jaded. Honestly, that's probably the, that's the word that gets tied to musicians the most. And so we've had different members over the years, primarily drummers, but thankfully Abishai, he's now, he, he has, he definitely gets the, the champion belt for being our longest lasting drummer but uh but all the guys that have come in you know there's been no sacrifice of you know intention of what we want to be about what we want our music to be about who we want to be as people on the road it doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we've done we've done everything perfectly that's for sure uh we've made a lot of mistakes and we've had to learn and be humbled a lot but i'm thankful that none of that has changed and we're still united for the same reasons. We want people to know about the love of God. It's that simple. We want people to understand his grace because that was the most life-changing and like earth-shattering thing for me was to finally truly understand grace for what it is, understand who Jesus is for who he is. And wanting our music to represent that. And so thankfully we've never had guys in the band that are just like why are we still doing this or we could be bigger if we didn't do this or everyone's just that's not ever been like it's been a non-negotiable and not because it's a badge we want to wear but it's because it's what we care about it's what we're passionate about you know and that hasn't died and i'm very thankful for that so yeah that's what i would say i'm most proud of that's really
2: great. Uh, one of the other things that I find really interesting about your guys' career is that once you released your first album, you really got to a point where within the general music scene, so much changed. I mean, it, that was kind of the emergence of Spotify, so that changed just the entire music world, not just the the kind of hardcore, metalcore and, and post-hardcore mm-hmm. scene. But there also felt like there was just a kind of change that happened. Like, you know, like Under Oath ended up going on hiatus for a while, and that really felt like it kind of changed the like what was going on at that time, and there were a lot of other bands that were becoming massive during the early and mid-2000s and even late-2000s, and then just all this stuff started changing in the early 2010s, But now it really feels like there's kind of this resurgence. I mean, like there's some really incredible bands in the same scene that are making some of their best music ever. And there's Mm -hmm. some new bands that are coming out in the like heavy music scene that are like amazing and just like coming out with some of the freshest, most interesting stuff. It really feels like you guys kind of like came in at like a really interesting time where everything started to change. And now you're at a point where. It feels like the, like the heavy music scene is at this really, really interesting point that, I don't know, it just feels, it feels like there's a resurgence that it felt like maybe like 10, 15 years ago, you know, when like Define the Great Line and everything came out. But yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about like being a band in that like heavy music scene? Like what does it feel like to be in, in something like that now where it really feels like there's a lot of energy and momentum again? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you sense that too. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe I'm totally off. Maybe you don't sense that like at any point it kind of like faded off for a second. And now is like resurging or maybe you do feel that. I don't know.
0: No, I, no, I do think you're right. Obviously like it's, it's like a little subjective, you know, for everybody. Cause for some people heavy music is alive when they found it, you know, but I, I do understand what you're saying, you know, for, you know, you guys, Probably have been involved in heavy music for a long time, and same for me. What was hard for me was the all the bands that I looked up to and the style of music that inspired me in heavy music were all pretty much gone or moved on by the time we actually uh, entered into what I would say is like the the larger world, being signed and starting to tour nationally and things like Mm -hmm. that. But I think what happened was is bands like Underoath like made they made the rest of the music world pay attention to this underground world, right. just by just volume of album sales. You know, doing mm-hmm. incredible things that they're just like, who's this band that sold this many records first week? But I think what happened was, was with the commercial commercialization of this music, and really what happened was is the scene took a step up. You know, in the world of music, but they also started borrowing from the way that the pop industry does things or, mm. uh, or modern rock. And, and I'm not just talking about sonically or style wise, I think like business or how records are created. Mm. And I think with that, a lot of the bands that came up through that, that was their idea of the world. You know, that was their idea of the music world, not kind of what has made this, seen this genre what it is as being underground as not really caring so much about what's being popular over here or what's popular over there Mm -hmm. because when the heavy music world was like growing and percolating there wasn't any any access to that you couldn't find out oh this song just came out yesterday and has this many views or this many listens this is what's big we need to do x and Mm -hmm. i think that's what happened for a period and it ends up creating kind of a static growth.
2: That and like it felt like a lot of times things just sounded the same, like everybody was just copying one another and therefore like everything was exactly the same.
0: Yeah. And I think the thing that's hard, too, is that there is a degree to which some people think, oh, well, this just sounds like this. Well, it's like you wouldn't have said that to a hardcore band in the early 2000s because that's what was hardcore, you yeah, know, like. No doubt. And so there's a degree to which it's not bad, but when there's a difference between being inspired by and parroting, right? right? As, as artists, I, I want to be inspired by the bands that I love, but I don't want to be a parrot. Because really, you end up being a parody, a less good version of mm-hmm. what you're inspired by. And I think that's what happened to a lot of bands is they did that to under And, you know, bands have been doing that to architects now because they're kind of one of the mainstays bring me the horizon and there's times that it's good and there's artists that are inspired by them and end up making great art because of that inspiration. But there's also a lot of other bands yeah. that want to recreate it. Um, and that's where I think you end up getting some of those problems. And you know what, there are people that probably say that we're guilty of that, but that's the challenge of an artist is.
3: Well, that. I think I'll explain why I think that you guys are, are different. Uh, and that's because you guys in the band pretty much do everything. Um, <laughs> like every single almost every single one of you except for your drummer does multiple things Mm -hmm. it's like there's multiple vocalists there's multiple cleans and leads and rhythms and and, like you guys are are definitely like a weird unit like there's not Mm -hmm. a lot of bands that that. we are a weird
0: unit that's a good description (laughs) yeah
3: like uh you guys are doing a lot of things at once which adds a lot of different textures and nuance to the music that a lot of bands don't get because you got four guys doing four very, very separate things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that could be it. So that's yeah, that's cool.
3: Also, how do you guys have so many like good singers in your band?
0: <laughs> I don't know.
3: Like, that's so we, we common to we, see so many good singers in one band. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean we we didn't we didn't start like that. I mean, the only person that so when Nick joined the band, he was he already was a phenomenal like vocalist great great scream vocals what he developed was his singing and and obviously range to other ways that he could use his voice you know for me it's just i was just lear- learning all along the way you know when i started wolves at the gate i kept telling the guys let's get a singer let's get a singer let's get a singer let's get a singer yeah. you know and Ben was like well you wrote you have melodies you wrote it why don't you sing it and i'm like that doesn't sound exciting to me um (laughs) sounds very nerve-wracking so i think part of it is yeah growing also
3: also, you're like i'm i'm playing lead guitar you know that right
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well i realized i'm like great now i have to figure out how to sing and play these songs at the same time which made me a better musician thankfully but i just looked up to all these vocalists that i loved and i just thought there's no way like i like i don't sound like them i can't like I love I I love Alexis on Fire, one of my yeah. one of my favorite bands. I'm like, there ain't no way I sound as good as he does. And so, well, eventually I had just had to get over it really it was it was insecurity shrouded in, you know, being a perfectionist, wanting to sound perfect and uh wanting people to like what they heard from my voice, but I had to get over that, so. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now,
1: Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com
2: So let's talk about the new album, which will be coming out very, very shortly. We're really excited about it. Uh, It's called Eulogies, and it'll be coming out on March 11th. What are you hoping, like when a fan first listens to the entire album, obviously there's been a few songs that are already out, but Mm -hmm. when a fan listens to the entire album for the first time, all the way through, from start to finish, what would you hope that they come away with? Like, what are you hoping that they catch? in from maybe lyrically to sonically
0: and all of that. Like what what is it like you would love for them to to notice? There is probably a major theme that has run through most of our records, which is it's kind of this twofold of this twofold way of looking at brokenness. There's a side of us that we don't want to see that we're broken. But there's a way and nobody likes feeling that way, but there's also a side of it to where it's so good to embrace the reality of who and what we are, um, and because of what I've come to understand about God and his grace and the gospel, one of the most important things I can do to really Enjoy the fullness of that love and that grace is to really accept who I am because all it does is illuminate how great that love is and how great that grace is. You know, it's kind of like when it gets dark at night, that's when you can see how bright the stars are. And so there's this contrast that's so important. And so that's really. That's really something I, I really hope people walk away with from a lot of our albums is that being able to accept the reality of that brokenness, but see that there's a great love and grace available despite that. and that's honestly what I personally have been chasing down for the large mm-hmm. part of my life and inspires a lot of our music and and so yeah, I guess that that would be it. What about sonically? What
2: is it that you would hope? a fan would notice sonically that's like, oh, I haven't heard Wolves at the Gate do this before.
0: You know, we keep trying to, we keep trying to, I guess, stretch the boundaries of what we can put in a record. I want people to, yeah, there's there's going to be songs on the record that are the most aggressive that we've written before, but there's also songs that are like most melodic as well, and it's not because you know, people hear that stuff and they go, oh, that's a radio song or that's a whatever song. And it's like, I we don't look at it that way. Come look at my wall and you'll understand why our records radio sound radio. the way they do. You know, like, <laughs> you know, I've got Paramore and John Mayer on this wall and I have the cherry on the other wall, you know, so it's <laughs> like I and I genuinely I, I, I could listen to Long Live right next to Continuum and not feel weird at all because <laughs> that's just me, unfortunately, or. Fortunately, I don't know what that means, but that's fortunate. um, Yeah, and so that's what that's what inspires the music. So I want, I just want people to be able to listen and appreciate the songs. So many times we've gotten into this idea of like listening to genres, you know. And to me, it's so crazy because the bands I love were genre benders and breakers, like Thrice. They're probably one of the mainstays, you know, of music that I've enjoyed throughout the years, and. They just kind of always did what they wanted. And I just thought that was so cool because there's a lot of bands that do what they want and it doesn't sound great. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right, <sure>. right, right, right. <laughs> but, yeah, but they do what they want and it's so cool. And I love being brought in that journey of like, oh, you want to do this now? That's so cool. I didn't know I liked that, you know? I,
2: I love, I love the fact that you brought up that you could be listening to Long Live from The Chariot and then all of a sudden, like the next song goes into something like John Mayer. And... One of my favorite things ever whenever I'm like listening to like Spotify or something and I've got like my whole discography on Shuffle is like exactly that where I'm listening to something from the chariot and then the next song is like from Sugaros or something, right? Like yeah. I, just, I love you that. Like, tiny
3: Tim on, on your on your shuffle though.
2: Right, right.
3: <laughs> I, through the yeah.
0: I can't believe you know that reference.
2: <laughs> and the next song is like some sort of deathcore. Yeah. yeah it's 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 the best uh, that's when uh, that to me is like a mark of somebody i think who truly loves music is like that they aren't st- with an open
3: mind too not just yeah so yeah that
2: they're not stuck now. to like certain genres that they're really open to all of the beauty that music can be regardless of the genre regardless of how aggressive it could be how ambient it could be and everything in between mm-hmm.
0: you know when you talk about heavy music i think one of my pet peeves is when people say oh it's not heavy or that's not heavy or like Like there's some sort of definition of what that means. And it's like some sort of recipe that if it doesn't have X, Y, or Z, it's not heavy. Heaviness has come from, if you go back and listen to what people have called heavy throughout the generations, it's so different. But heavy really is just this idea of like, it's drawing this certain emotion. And so it shouldn't matter if the guitar is an A or an E standard. It shouldn't matter if the guy is screaming like brutally or screaming passionately. Is it conveying that that emotion or that feeling? And and that's what I hope that people come to our record our records and just listen to music and listen to passion and 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 you know um you know intentionality and emotion in that way, and just let the song tell you what it's telling, telling you and not go, oh well it doesn't have this and I like this, so I won't listen. Because anytime I've said that and not listen to a record i have ended up listening to that record and ended up feeling like an idiot I'm like why did i wait so long yeah
3: so i i love that analogy too because i mean think about uh i mean we're all chariot fans here apparently listen to the song speak and tell me that yeah, that's not one of the heaviest songs right ever, right ever yeah. penned like things insane piano and a guy is screaming and that's it and that's, that's honestly that, that's my favorite chariot
0: song and the reason the thing that makes that song so heavy is what he's saying too yes and people forget people forget that something doesn't have to be heavy you don't have to like say like i'm cutting your head off or like whatever tough guy phrase it is your band does not
3: need to be called cattle decapitation right
0: yeah (laughs) yeah like you know this the subject matter and the way that the lyrics are built up like if you've ever listened to the song the widow by As Cities burn right yes. you know it's basically about it's like this heart-wrenching song but it's heavy because of the content you could have written the same exact song and changed the subject and it could have been something he was trying to write from a, a third person perspective and it wouldn't have landed that way but that's the difference like in that song speak you know scoggins yelling father speak to your children and it's like There's so much you can take from that phrase. And and I'm also thinking, man, there's probably a lot coming from that for him. You know, there's probably so much more to it than just, you know, telling dads what to do. (laughs) It's probably coming from experience as well. And so, yeah, like all those things to me together is what makes heavy music so cool. Because I never connected with, you know, the top 40 stuff because... The goal wasn't necessarily to connect in that way. I I mean, if you want to call Nirvana Top 40, the reason why they connected with so many people is because he was saying things that you're like, whoa, this is a real person saying things to me that are very real and honest. And that's what to me makes. That's part of the recipe, I would say. Heavy music needs to have. So
3: it's good music, man. That's what makes good music. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
2: So we've been talking about all the, the music that you love. Let's dive in then to your top five most influential albums. You painstakingly, before this interview, <laughs> were listing them off. And I'm sure you cut a lot of albums you really wanted, including a beloved Swedish band. Uh, but we, you know, <laughs> you, you might be able to be forgiven for that. <laughs> let's, let's do it, Stephen. What, what are your top five most influential albums? Start out with number five.
0: Well, I don't know if I can rank them. So that's fine. I don't have that prepared. So unless you know they, everybody they has a 45 minutes. Um, <laughs> so I, in no, in no partic- particular order, but the first record I did think of was "Son I Loved You at Your Darkest" by Cities Burn. Yeah, I mean, sonically, the record, the music is just unlike anything I'd ever heard in my life. Lyrically, unlike anything I'd heard in my life i felt like i literally felt like he was writing i, I felt like somebody was like writing my journal wow. if that makes sense i i felt like he saw into my soul but the reality is is that he was just looking into his own and that's he's seeing the same thing we i guess we all should see mm-hmm. per se
2: i was literally blasting that album last week in my car also th- one of the most astute Observations I've ever heard on this podcast. We were interviewing a guy named Dan Koch, and he mentioned something about As Cities Burn, specifically "Son, I Loved You, Eat Your Darkest." And he said that I don't know if there was a band that had a better idea of what their sound should be on a debut album than As Cities Burn. And I oh, think that's yeah. like a such a good way to think about that album. They went in to their debut album, probably some of the first stuff they've ever recorded, and knew exactly how that needed to sound, and they perfected it. I mean, immediately. Yeah. I mean, you just don't yeah. see a lot of bands like being able to do that immediately in their career.
0: Yeah. Well, the next band I would say did that as well.
2: Okay, let's hear it.
0: The receiving end of sirens between the heart and synapse. That was their mm-hmm. debut record. Okay. And I'd never heard such a smart debut record in my life. Like it was, yeah, sonic so sonically like uh, deep. Because at that point, I had I hadn't heard anything that was past, you know, just two guitars, bass drums, vocals. So they added in all these like crazy key elements and synths and uh, like the whole and the whole record had this like continuing this melody that would show up at different points and in different songs. Oh and and lyrics. And the whole record just just flowed. It's kinda like records like that where it's like you love every single song, but you you never I never go, oh, I want to listen to track seven. I just listen to the album. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I can't. It's like the same thing with like Manchester Orchestra for me. Like I can't listen to a song, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to. Yeah. So it's like Black Mile to the Surface. I, I'm going to start track one every time. Million Mask of God. Every, I'm going to start track one every time. Um, that. And that's how those two records are as well. So, yeah, that, that band was mind blowing for me as well the next record was Deja Entendu by Brand New uh, mm. and so I'd known you know I'd known their band and they had a re- they had a record and I think like an EP before but that record was like I got into them and if you know the, the record before Your Favorite Weapon it basically kind of goes from like you know indie sort of like pop punk sound almost yep. to like this like dark introspective but like, I don't know, driving rock record that just gave me like a feel like nothing else I'd ever had. And again, great lyricists, very honest. Yeah, and so all three of these records had very interesting, uh, great lyricists as well, which was like super important for me to connect. And so, yeah, that was... That that record made me want to write music, I think, so much more than I had before, because I thought, man, I, w- I want to make something that makes me feel that way, too. That's a great pick, man. Yeah. True Thrice fans would probably like laugh at me for picking this record, but Arse in the Ambulance by Thrice, simply yeah, because that was probably the coolest heavy record I'd ever heard in my life, because they just... Yeah, they just, in my opinion, they kind of just did something that wasn't done. It was aggressive and melodic, but never felt like corny at all. Mm-hmm. Like lyrically, I wasn't as into that record. I was just, all I heard was how great every part of the band was, you right. know? And that kind of sold me on the band because I was into them during Identity Crisis, Illusion of Safety, you know? But when I heard this album, I was just like, it was just kind of like, I can't believe this only cost twenty bucks. You know, <laughs> that was like that moment. You know, which people only are like, "You pay twenty dollars for an album." <laughs> yeah, that's that's how much records cost back then. Twenty dollars.
3: Yeah, that was a steal. Yeah, that was. A... Yeah, I know.
0: And then the last album I would say is Jimmy World Futures. Um, <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it'd be Bleed American or Futures, but. Yeah, I just think I love Bleed American. But when I heard Futures, they just kind of tapped in. I just felt like they perfected what they did on Bleed American. Mm. And uh, again, it's like this melodic music that's not corny. It's so memorable, but so like artistic. And I think that's what I loved was that's what got me into all these other types of bands was bands that can make something that's memorable, but not like not because you're like annoyed that's stuck in your head you know you're just like oh that moment or that part you know so those are those are my five
3: that's awesome Feels. you know i dig uh, that list it's been a long yeah. time since we've heard a jimmy Eat world album on our top five but at one point it was like every single week that we were doing a, <laughs> of, uh, an interview it was jimmy Eat world jimmy Eat world jimmy Eat world yeah now, i'm just i'm glad to hear jimmy Eat world again as well as my favorite Jimmy World record in in uh, futures. I I, yeah. I, do, I think you said it perfectly. They perfected what they did on Bleed American. Yeah,
0: yeah. You but know, it doesn't,
3: it, get, it doesn't get the respect that Bleed American does.
0: No, it, no, it doesn't. I think just because Bleed American put them on the map. Yeah, you it's know? Just right. so
3: commercially successful for sure.
0: Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's cool talking about these albums. And the thing that's always funny to me is people. And I remember growing up listening to interviews going like those are your favorite bands like how would you make the stuff that you make you know because that's the people (laughs) that ask us like those are your favorite bands like how would you get to where you got you know why are you making the music you make but that's the thing about inspiration is that they those are the ones that inspired me the most it doesn't have to be a band that sounds exactly like me right right you know Um, and i think that's what makes my favorite bands what they are is that they're inspired by something outside of what they want to create that makes them push push forward, you know?
3: Yeah. That's one of the most surprising things I've found on this podcast is that the vast majority of uh, artists that we talk to, they don't actually, and we, we typically have hard music uh, or heavy music uh, artists on, but the vast majority of them don't listen to heavy music most of the time. Most mm-hmm. of the time they're listening to indie music or oldies or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they've got some uh, some different realm that they're that they're exploring at the time and heavy music's generally not on the radar because I mean, maybe it's just like the oversaturation in their lives. But that is something yeah. I find very interesting that, you know, you're not always listening to people that you are sounding in, in like the same scope as. So, yeah, kind of I
0: think modern, yeah, like modern heavy music for modern heavy musicians inspires them in a different way than I think any guy in any band would say he's a liar. Like, he would be a liar to say he doesn't listen to anything current. Some guys are like that. But yeah. you still hear what's going on, and it inspires you maybe in a different way. Like, you see guys, like, going for it in a different way. Or, like, guys in bands that you're friends with, like, seeing them try something new. Like, even just that is, is inspiring. You know, like, when I saw that Garrett was going to start, from Garrett from Side of the Planet was going to start singing, that was just exciting for me because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's so cool you're trying something different. And then Mitch is singing, I'm, you know, Mitch, he's incredibly talented musician. You know, it's cool to see guys that you're, you know, that, you know, from touring and they've been doing it for a while and yet they're still pushing, you know, they're trying something different. They're trying to even just either get better at what they're doing or do something different. And that to me is also inspiring uh, as well. And so that I think that's how that happens for a lot of Musicians that are in a heavy music world. So
3: yeah, for sure.
2: I'm glad you mentioned Garrett and Mitch and Silent Planet because I just right. want to say quick, the roster that Solid State has right now is maybe like one of my favorite iterations of a Solid State roster since maybe back when they you know had Under oath and Norma Jean and Chariot and all those <laughs> bands. I feel like, like a little
3: kid again. Just like- I know. Me too. <laughs> All it's just, it's so
2: exciting with like what you, you know, you guys, Devil Wears Prada, Silent Planet, some of the younger bands like Empty and everything. Like there are just so many great bands on mm-hmm. the label right now that are just absolutely killing it. They might not necessarily be quite as big as when, you know, like Under Oath was on the label and everything. But in terms of like actual talent and how good some of the releases have been in the last couple of years with the current roster, it's been incredibly impressive.
3: Speaking of which, maybe, maybe, Steven, you're like one of the best guys to, you know, head this on. Being the fact that you've been on the label for so long and, um, you know, you, you, everyone seems to like to go out on tour with you guys. You, you, you guys should maybe see if Solid State's interested in sponsoring a, a tour across the United States with a bunch of the upcoming and more legacy Solid State, uh, bands.
0: So. <laughs> Uh, we got signed in 2011. Yeah, that has been our A and R, Adam Scatula at the label. That has been his like dream since, <laughs> and he started working for Solid State Tooth and Nail around that same time. Yeah, and that's probably been like the only thing we've talked about like once a year. Yeah, and it has, <laughs> still has not. It hasn't happened. So it's not that the idea isn't there or the desire. <laughs> it's it is somewhat hard to coordinate. Because there was a t- there was a time when who who headlines that you know because there were s- so many of the bands were young, you know.
3: Just make 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 a super group. Of, of yeah bands. yeah. <laughs> that's <their laughs> yeah, point.
0: but I, but I think it, I think it's I think it's different now with the way that a lot of the bands have grown and and also you know some of the bigger bands on the roster like you said like Prada you know but that's up to whoever is on top. It's up to them you know they're oh. they're the ones that. Will determine whether that is reality or not. Well, I we hope you guys not. keep
3: that bug in there. I, I know, I know a couple <laughs> other people like Austin Visser from The Undertaking has uh, has been uh, really pushing something like that for a long time. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that that goes through because that would be super sick.
0: Yeah, yeah, That'd, be, it'd be, that'd be
3: just as cool as Furnace Fest, in my opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah, Furnace Fest was pretty rad. Did you I go? watched a, no, I watched a lot of the the YouTube videos. Ah, cool man. Yeah, yeah. We
2: need time. to get wolves at the gate at Furnace Fest next year.
0: Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I know. We didn't. We didn't get the invite, so we. That's people are like, why weren't you there? It's like a lot of times people don't understand how it works. It's like, <laughs> well, you don't just show up and play. You have to be invited. So it's kind of like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, there was this party, and it's like, why were you there? We're gonna get invited. So <laughs> Furnace Fest, we're open. We're, yeah, we're like, willing.
3: That's like walking into high school on Monday morning knowing that there's a huge uh, house party that you weren't invited to. And <laughs> it was like, "No, what the, that was so much fun." You're like, "Yeah."
0: So that's what we were. We were that those guys going like, "Yeah,
3: I heard it, I heard it was awesome. What was it like?" You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well,
0: so maybe we can put a little
3: bug thing. in someone's ear about that. Uh, yeah. We, we know some people over there Yeah, schools, we'll so.
0: we'll we'll celebrate the furnace and the festival of it. So, let's go. Yeah. Let's do it.
2: Yeah. Awesome. That's right. All right, Steven, what do you want to plug? Obviously, the album's coming out on the 11th. Anything else you want mm-hmm. to
0: plug? Yeah, I'm going to run for president.
2: What? This, hey, wait, out is of it life, Wait, wait, huh? wait. Is this Is this the first time you've announced this? Is this the first this is, public announcement?
0: Is, is the official announcement? Really? Um, yeah, I'm going to dye my hair yellow. Going to get a spray tan cuz I've seen that work before. So, that's <laughs>
2: It's not it's not the first time. It's not the
0: first. It's not the first time it's worked. Apparently, that's all you need. So um, it feels
2: a little early to be announcing, though, right now. I mean, we still got like, what, three years? Well, I guess less than three years ahead of
0: the
3: the curve, you know? Yeah. You know,
0: good planning. Yeah. No, I'm not running for president. That that seems like the worst job in the world. But
2: hey, at least (laughs) if you did, would you at least win Ohio? <laughs> no,
0: <laughs> no. <laughs> I think the only thing I would win is the votes of my family and maybe some Wolves of the Gate fans. So we wouldn't make it past. Yeah, we wouldn't make it past. We wouldn't make it past anything. So I
3: can, I can already tell you, in the short amount of time I've known you, I'd rather have you. Other than
0: the that's true. Best, like ten presidents
3: <laughs> we've had. So <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. What a weird job, huh? Yeah. What would your What would your slogan be? Maybe
2: some sort of spoof on kombucha. What would it be?
0: <laughs> my slogan. Uh my slogan would be grow up America. That would be my <laughs> slogan. That's why I wouldn't get voted for. It'd be grow up.
3: <laughs> It'd be grow up America. Keep the wolves at the gate. Yeah. You have an anti immigration policy, are you? <laughs> no,
0: that, that's not that's yeah, that's not it's not a political policy. No. <laughs> Metaphorical only.
2: It's just metaphor. (laughs) That's amazing. Awesome. Well, I'm telling you, you got my vote. Just saying. That's great. I appreciate that.
1: Awesome. You know, I
0: wasn't I wasn't invited to the cool high school party, but I will be class president. That's I guess that's the moral of the story. There you go.
3: (laughs) The class of America. You get shit done. (laughs) The class of America.
0: Oh, this took a turn. This took a good turn. It did take a turn. <laughs> whoever whoever tuned in this far got some of the real good stuff they were they, did. For. That's right. they did. They did. Right.
2: I will say in fourth grade, I ran for my class president. Uh, and that was like the year that uh, Napoleon Dynamite came out. And my slogan was vote for Mason. That's and good, like, I would wear that shirt, you know, like where it was like vote for Pedro or whatever. Like I yes. wore like a vote for Mason version of that. And that was my like whole um, like, thing. And this... I ended up winning. It was great. That's awesome. Well, that's... I,
3: I ran for school secretary uh, or treasurer, not secretary, treasurer. <laughs> that's what it was. And I made, I made signs that said, I know monies. Like, <laughs> I
0: won. Mean, want... Well, obviously <laughs> I didn't run for anything because I was pretty sure that. I was not liked enough to win. So I was going to go through the humiliation. So you guys, you guys would have probably won the, the, the band vote of, of being most favorite. I think I've always been middle of the road, to be honest. I think when the voting ends, I'm usually like safely. That's a a good place to be. It's consistent. Safely in the three spot. I I
2: feel very (laughs) polarizing. Like, I feel like I would be like oscillating between the most or least like, like every other week.
0: You're taking the big risk, and that's that's really what it is. Is you know, you're like, I'm just gonna go for it. I'm either yeah. gonna be number one. You're, if you're not first, you're last, right? You know, sure. Right. Pretty, pretty, that maybe that would also be my my presidential slogan. <laughs> first, Honestly, it would probably be. I don't know what to do with my hands. That that's why I, <laughs> that's why I play. That would be the
2: most relatable campaign slogan probably ever.
3: <laughs> I think that was Donald Trump's <laughs> campaign slogan, or at least that's what he did. <laughs>
2: amazing well steven thank you again for chatting a little bit more about the history of wolves at the gate and we're really excited about the new album and uh you know for all the touring that you guys might do and hopefully maybe like a solid state type of tour at some point we we need to keep pushing solid state for that so thank you again for chatting all about it
0: yeah thank you guys